Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. everyone to the Happy at Work podcast. And we are so excited to be joined today by the president and CEO of Exonify, Carol Lehman. Carol, welcome to the Happy at Work podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. Wonderful. So I'm going to go ahead and get us kicked off. And the first, you know, kind of question I I have for you as this is called the Happy at Work uh, podcast, we focus a lot on positive workplace environment. What are some of the things that you do as a leader to create a positive workplace environment? Uh, I would say, you know, the biggest thing that we do is we um, are transparent about everything. Transparency is a common, common theme that comes up in our business as something that just gets people uh, understanding what's going on, whether it's good or it's challenging, and makes them feel secure that they know the truth. And just that foundation of um, transparency stabilizes everything and goodness can grow from that. So I, I would say that's the number one thing. Then there's all kinds of other sorts of things we do to just um, take those seeds that have been planted and get them to grow. That's that's awesome and really hard, right? To be transparent. Um, I'm curious how you think about that, maybe from a culture perspective, right? The the values and norms and beliefs of your organization. How does transparency kind of play out there? And maybe what are some of the other things that you really think about from, from a culture perspective? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Transparency is kind of a pillar to me of culture. And we, we've always, um, always from day one, had that level of transparency in the organization. And in fact, it's the same way I've always managed previous businesses as well. And it really comes down to um, trusting people with knowledge, whether it's sensitive knowledge, like your financial condition as a business, or uh, difficult knowledge around whether you're going to meet financial results or maybe you've had to let somebody go, but you can't explain all the reasons why. But being as upfront and honest as possible starts that spark from a cultural perspective of people um, believing that the place that they work is always going to tell them the truth. And then it does bleed into other um, values. So, you know, just get uh, some of our values are, you know, be bold, get it done, um, collaboration. People feel much more empowered to execute against other cultural values when they also feel like the organization they work for is going to do the best by them in the best of circumstances or the challenging circumstances. So, To me, transparency is one of those foundational items 
that is a pillar of culture. And if you don't have the transparency and you're hiding things and you're not telling the truth, that really doesn't help. Just to add on to that, the what I heard you say, do the best by them, right? Like that sort of even to me starts to get into trust, right? And how you build that trust. It sounds like transparency is like the primary way you're really trying to build trust in, in, in an authentic kind of way. Is that, that that's yeah, totally. Yeah. You put it really well, Laura, that, that is trust is, um, comes out of being transparent and, um, you know, like every business we've had challenging situations unfold over 10 years. And instead, you know, I often say this to employees in the absence of information and understanding why certain decisions were made in challenging circumstances, we as human beings naturally revert to all the reasons that are negative for anything. We worry, we're rooted in fear. We we never think about, well, this was just the best for the business and, and what's good for the business is good for me too. People generally worry, start to worry. And, and it's out of that worry other rumors start and possibilities and, and stuff happens that is, you know, it's just not what you want done. And so um, by being transparent and really talking about the challenges, everybody can then get on board with helping you solve the challenges. So, you know, that's the other aspect that comes out of that transparency and authenticity and being real about it. Um, you know, I would say it's another personal quality, I've always tried to embody that authenticity of, you know, people can trust me too, to tell them, you know, I don't have all the answers and I am just trying to make the best judgment in the moment with the information I have. And if I make a poor judgment, I admit it, I own up to it. And I will say that was like a real decision. So that gives other people permission to behave the same way. And that's critical. I, um, I, I give you so much credit when you speak of um, terms around transparency being the major pillar of, of your culture. The, a lot of the research that I'm working on right now is looking at a multi-generational workplace. And certainly what we're seeing from millennial and, and Gen Z uh, employees coming into the workplace, um, you know, basically anyone under the age of 40 is that those values around trust and transparency and authenticity are incredibly important to them. And so I'm curious, for instance, we just went through a global pandemic. How did, you know, as kind of that kind of crisis situation might have hit your company, what were some of the things that you did to get through that time? I'm sure it was grounded in this, you know, sharing the information you could at the time that you could could share it. But what else did you do to try to promote um, this positive workplace during that kind of time of crisis? It was, uh, you know, now looking back on it, um, it was one of those situations where you kind of have to make it up as you go along and hope for the best. But the first thing that I did was institute weekly touch bases with the team. So everybody got on Zoom and I reiterated the financial stability of our business and that, you know, nobody was at risk there. We were carrying on. 
um, you know, our financial plan for the year in terms of, you know, new business and new sales would probably be impacted, but that we had the, the financial stability to withstand a lot. And just being able to reassure people of that was kind of job number one. Job number two was because of the nature of what we do, we had a unique opportunity to serve frontline workers who were not at home. And therefore, we had to double down and really go hard at these people that we knew were in the most need for what we had as a a business. And so those were the sorts of things. And then just every week, touching base and saying to folks, you know, it's all good. Here's what happened this week and answering any questions. Um, Something else that we do here and have for some time is something called AMA, which is Ask Me Anything. And it's a segment that we do in our all hands meetings where people can submit anonymous questions and I have to answer them. And they can be anything, any topic, any, you know, uh, anything. And I do my best to answer those questions. And it gives, again, people the freedom to ask things that they might not want to ask in front of two or 300 other people. And so that really helped through the pandemic also. We, we had, and you know, we, we started a talk show on Thursdays, Thursdays at 1130. We now have this thing called Just Before Lunch with JD. And he is one of our amazing employees that runs this variety show online with employees every Thursday for 20 minutes and things like that, that just kept us together, kept us connected, continued to build relationships, keep people informed and try to maintain as best we could the culture that we had pre-pandemic. So, you know, those, those are just a few of the things that we tried to do, but um, I think it worked and people appreciated it. That's so cool. It's, I mean, a lot about kind of almost reassuring confidence, calm. It sounds like you were trying to yeah. you know, yeah. help that along the way. That was I bet, so good for employees. So tell us a little bit more about the Exonify offering, what, what you do, especially the personalized learning paths, I think that, that you do. Could you tell us more? For sure. So we are a corporate learning solution, but uh, we serve frontline workers best. And what we offer is a three to five minute a day brain science based learning experience that is wrapped in all kinds of gamification and fun elements to really get an employee engaged in learning. And we use an algorithm that personalizes the learning to every single individual every single day based on what they know or don't know as they go through their training. And so it keeps it fresh. It keeps it fun. It's fast. You know, they don't have to sit and watch a video for an hour and it's every single day oriented to topics that individual needs to have delivered to them to do the job that they're doing best. So that in a nutshell is what we do. So I'm, I'm a little bit curious and I'm not sure how much you can go into this, um, but a little bit about the learning science. So you mentioned it's three to five minutes a day. It's this algorithm that does this 
personalized learning path and there's brain science around it. Can you, just, can you speak to any of those pieces? Sure, for sure. So we we use three core cognitive concepts to drive memory in the brain faster than anything. And what we know is people at work do what they know. If they don't know, they will guess or they'll ask somebody else and that person may or may not know, or they just won't do it at all. And so what we do is we get very specific knowledge ingrained in the brain of the individual super fast with these three core cognitive concepts. So the first one is something called spaced repetition. And we it's, it's based on science that has existed for more than 100 years. And essentially, it is uh, providing a key knowledge point to an individual with very specific spacing between the first time, the second time, the third time you present that information to them. The spacing is key. The second thing, and repeating it over a 30 to 45 day period is also key to creation of memory. Second thing is we use a concept called retrieval practice, which is a form of learning proven to be the most effective way a human being learns. And that is to not just tell somebody something, but to ask them to tell you what the right answer is. And so you could ask somebody a piece of information they don't even actually know the answer to. And if they, they choose an answer because you've questioned them and given them some choices and they get it wrong, if you immediately present to them the right answer, they have a greater chance of remembering it the next time. So that act of questioning is a very effective way of learning. The third thing is something called confidence-based assessment. So we also know that if people are confident in their knowledge, they have a greater proclivity to act in the workplace. If they are lacking in confidence in their knowledge, they will hang back, even if they know it. They will hang back if they lack confidence. And on the other side of the coin, people who are overconfident in their knowledge will act even if they don't know it. And you don't want either of those situations. So we use a mechanism. Once an individual answers a question, we will say, how confident are you in that answer? And they self-assess their confidence. And so we know how confident they are. And the interesting thing is people who are overconfident start to realize they actually don't know anything because they keep getting things wrong and they begin to pay attention more deeply to the content and they move into actual state of knowledge. Those that are lacking in confidence start to see, I actually know this stuff. They grow their confidence and then they act in the workplace. So those are the three things we employ using an algorithm person by person based on their individual learning path to hone in on the optimal way to get that individual to learn as fast as possible and they can then you know perform better. I love the confidence measure. I, you know, where, yeah. right where I go to is I wonder if there's gender differences on that measure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. There are definitely differences in job type. 
So I will tell you, a lot of salespeople are overconfident. They start off being highly confident in their knowledge. And we see this interesting movement to mastery once they begin to realize they actually don't know, you know, things about what they're selling or anything. (laughs) This um, real quick, it reminds me of a piece of research that um, I recently conducted when I was at Holt International Business School with MBA students. We measured their confidence before and in the middle of the semester, and we had this intervention, which was working with a real client. Our major finding from our research was that they came in so confident. And our thought was, our hypothesis was that working with a client, they would become much more confident because they're applying their skills. We actually like broke them down. It was like a military experience. They say this happens in the military where they they came in confident. They realized they knew nothing. And then we had to build them back up. So it was a really fascinating, but a lot of the researchers, when we presented this, uh, this paper and actually in Europe this past summer, their, their comment was, no, that's actually really great if introduced at the beginning of, uh, you know, a curriculum or at some point, then they, you get them recalibrating and then they start to, with humility, learn more readily to what they need to know. So it's a, it's a really fascinating process. It is. And it is. Yeah. You just described exactly what happens with human beings. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. So would you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the results you're finding, or it could be, you know, stories of how it's this um, platform has impacted employees, but also, you know, overall results and things that you've seen in terms of of what you offer? Yeah, absolutely. It, It is fascinating and very gratifying, actually, to see the business outcomes that our customers are able to achieve through focusing on critical pieces of learning. You know, I mean, the world has a history of training people at work with the one size fits all, boil the ocean, tell them a million things, send them out and hope they remember. And we see uh, things like, for example, um, we've had customers who focus the content on products that they're launching and getting uh, the people selling those products to fully understand what the product is, what the features are, what the benefits are, how to articulate it appropriately to a potential customer of theirs. And we've had customers do A-B testing where some of their salespeople will be on Exonify for 90 days or more, and then others just doing their regular training that they've always done. And then comparing the sales results at the end of that period. And it is remarkable, the difference in result. And so that's one thing we've been able to prove over and over. Um, We've also done uh, experiments and have had customer results around things like loss prevention. So accidents, injuries in the workplace. Again, you know, people who don't know, as one example, how to properly climb a ladder Ladder accidents at work are one of the most prevalent life-changing accidents that happens in North America, in fact, globally. And there are about eight very critical things you need to do when climbing a ladder at work. And a lot of people don't do them. They just shove the ladder next to the shelf or whatever they're climbing up against and climb up and don't do one of those eight critical things. 
And what we've seen is a dramatic reduction in medical accidents and injuries in the workplace through the use of a tool that will just say, you know, if you saw somebody climbing a ladder and it looked like this is, you know, what's wrong with this picture and having the person identify, you know, the thing that looks wrong and, you know, things like that. Just even uh, another really interesting example, theft. Theft in one of the segments of our, we, we have a lot of retail customers. Theft is prevalent in the retail industry and it's employee theft uh, to a large degree. And so when you question your associates around, if you saw one of your friends doing something like this at work, what would you do about that? It is, again, remarkable how often they will report it when reminded what things like that look like. So many, many sorts of business outcomes uh, that we've shown over the years and far, the ROI is astounding, actually. When people know, they do the right things. That's amazing. Um, I'm just, I'm fascinated also just from the frontline workers perspective. um, It's, you know, I've come from a learning and development background for a lot of my career. And there's so much emphasis usually on top management and, and middle management even, but you know, have you, did, did you see this kind of void uh, with the frontline workers or what, 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 what was kind of the impetus to say, we want to focus on the frontline? Um, and certainly through, during the pandemic, I'm sure that your services were incredibly needed. But what, why focus yeah. on the frontline? You know what? It's so interesting. It's because our very first use case was a retailer and we had this intuition And it it was proven true. Frontline workers historically and actually, unfortunately, still to this day, get almost no investment in learning. And it's because the organizations they work for just expect them to not stick around for very long. So in the retail industry, as one example, a retail associate does not even get an email address with their employer because they're just not expected to be there for very long. So they don't invest in them. They uh, don't value them to the extent that they should. Now, that fortunately has changed dramatically with COVID. But we saw this out there many years ago. You know, we launched the product 10 years ago and we were evangelizing. And really, many, many deals felt like we were pushing a rope uphill to get organizations with tens of thousands of frontline workers, but maybe only 2,000 corporate workers to understand the impact to their business of investing in these people. And so we've now proven that that investment pays back to the organization in so many ways, including retention. And instead of somebody only sticking around for three months, they might stay for nine or 12. And the lack of needing to rehire for a position four times a year is massively financially impactful to that business. So, um, you know, we just had this intuition. The pandemic, as you said, accelerated the awareness that organizations really do need to invest in this segment of the workforce. It is the largest segment of the workforce globally by far. And, you know, it's um, so that has been very good for us. And uh, we continue to champion the frontline worker. 
So good. I love that so much. Um, we care a lot about really supporting and advocating for women in leadership roles here at Happy at Work podcast. Um, and so we'd just love to hear from your perspective, you know, being a woman in, you know, in the CEO position and then in tech, there's, you know, can be especially challenging. And I'm just curious, any perspective around the challenges that you faced and, you know, things, maybe things that you've learned along the way? Yeah, most definitely. You know, it's one of those things where I have to give my parents some credit here for <laughs> somehow instilling in me and my sister, I will say, uh, who is very successful in a completely different profession, um, this feeling like we should never, we should just do our thing and never worry about the fact that we were female. And, you know, I'm now at the tail end of my career. I'm 57 years old. And, you know, I, I don't know how many more years I'll be working, but, you know, I don't have 30 years to go. That's for sure. And I have never, ever thought about myself any differently than anybody else. And it's just been a case of put your head down give it your all, do the best of your ability and good things will happen. That's just always been my attitude. And I've said to many women through the years who, you know, have some anxiety and fear about, you know, how they're going to be perceived in tech, especially, um, you know, I, I have said to people all throughout my career, just speaking about gender specifically, I have watched many men reach very high levels within organizations all the way to the top who have treated people poorly, who have not performed themselves very well at all, and basically didn't deserve the promotions or the, the roles that they had and made really, really dumb decisions. And this switch went off in my head, uh, which was the very first company I ran 20 some years ago, which was a tech business. And I had, when I was asked to become the CEO of that company, I had this momentary feeling of, oh my God, why are they asking me, you know, and that fear. And then I had this epiphany all of a sudden that was, why not me? Why not me? Not, not why me? Why me? Why not me? I am equally smart. And I'm no genius. I have like average intelligence folks, <laughs> but I know how to treat people well. I know how to energize the organization to feel good about their contributions and, you know, the value they're adding every day. And I don't need to have all the answers. I can just be me and be a, you know, very normal human being paying my bills, raising my children and trying to do it all and being okay with the fact that sometimes you're great and sometimes you're not. And it was that, why not me? Because if that guy can get there, I sure as heck can too. And it was that epiphany that just allowed me the freedom in my own mind to not go, Somebody's going to figure out one day I am not as smart as I think I am. And, you know, I don't have all the answers and all those sorts of things that women do to themselves. So why not you? Why not you? 
I, I Carol, I just, oh, I love this conversation so much. I, th- I really resonate with so much you say, but I can see now the connection between your leadership style and your core values for the company being around, you know, being transparent, you authentic. are who you are, being authentic and having that be the core of the way you run your business and, and therefore having a very positive workplace environment where people feel comfortable showing up as who they are and doing the best they can. I'm sure it's a very inspiring place to work. I have absolutely enjoyed uh, speaking with you. I hope we can maybe follow up with you to see how the progress is going with the company in a few months and how everything's going. But I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us. Me too. Well, thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.